Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. So uh, I wrote a few notes down this morning, kind of was centered around communion, but uh, I don't think anybody can do it better than Kelly and Gloria. Good yeah. Man, you know, uh, they really pull the emotion out of that, and what a wonderful thing that is. So, uh, you know, the purpose of communion, I grew up Catholic, so uh, the way that we do it in the Catholic Church is, you know, the, the priest gets up there and does communion, and everybody comes up, and then in the process of the whole congregation coming up and grabbing the wine and the, and the bread, and they eat it right here in front, and and then you go back to your pew and you kneel down and you pray. And what I always envisioned that to be was my moment to ask God for the sins that I'd committed, the ones that I knew of that I committed that week. And then the importance of that is that your repentance. It's your repentance. It's, uh, Lord, forgive me for my heart where it was that week, where it, you know, and, and it's a promise to do better. So the purpose of communion is always for me to look inside myself and try to fix the sin that's in my heart. And one of the overriding sins that I continue to struggle with is my faith. The strength, the depth, and the level of my, of my faith, and whether it's enough or not. And it scares me to death that it's not. And I've been working pretty hard uh, this last year, uh, and I want to read the Bible from the beginning to the end. And so I finally got through the Old Testament. And every morning I'd wake up, uh, um, right around anywhere between 4.30 and 5.15, and I usually start work at about 6, so I get downstairs and I start reading the Old Testament, and it kind of goes something like this. Strumming through it and reading and reading and reading, and... So it's taken me quite a long time to get through the Old Testament. And uh, um, it's not an easy book to read, and it's very repetitive. And some of the things that I pulled away from that is, first of all, what God is. God never changes. He's always faithful. He's always righteous. And he is tremendously jealous. Tremendously jealous. You are to serve him and him alone. Okay? He cares for four groups. He cares for orphans. He cares for widows. He cares for prisoners. And he cares for the poor. And he rewards obedience. The best compliment I've ever received in this church is when Barry passed away and a song came to me and I was obedient 
and I wrote the song, and I wrote a song for Barry, and I played it at his memorial. And Sandra rewarded me with a blanket she had bought. And the words she said was, thank you for being obedient. And I just, to, I want Jesus to say that when I Amen. come to the final judgment. Thank you for being obedient. Yeah. And I struggle with that all the time. And during worship night, which was a, an amazingly powerful night, Celia got up and she said, God searches the world for hearts that are his, that belong yeah. to him. And he wants obedience. He wants you to peel away the things that you want to do and serve him. And it was such a magical moment. And I'm dealing with that. And so that kind of hit me between the eyes. And then Robert came up and gave a sermon last week or a couple weeks ago. And he talked about um, Abraham and Sarah. And they took it upon themselves to start the nation instead of having that faith in God to deliver that. And their firstborn was Ishmael, right? And what would the world be like had Abraham had that faith that God would provide for him instead of taking that into his own hands and try to direct his life, right? Ishmael is recognized in the uh, Muslim religion as being a prophet. But had he had never been there, where would, where would that be? Right? Okay. What about Jacob when he entered the, uh, the promised land? He was directed to annihilate all the Palestines. Right? In our hearts and our minds, as I read that, I'm like, how can that be? Why would God ask for that? Because it just doesn't, it seems against who he is and what he stands for. But if all the Palestinians were eliminated, eliminated back then when they were supposed to be, where would Israel be right now? So in our lack of obedience and the small little things that we may not see the whole big picture, what are we missing out on in our future? So... Communion to me is, Lord, open my eyes to my disobedience. Open my eyes to allow me not to stand in the way of the future that you have for me. And I look back at my life and all the times when I tried to direct where I wanted to go, right? And in the places I should have been and where I should be compared to where I am now. So where where do I fit in that when it comes to the final judgment? Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you 
who are blessed by my Father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And my biggest fear is getting there and him saying to me, I do not know you. Amen. Thanks for being obedient. It also says be instant in season and out of season to be able to speak of your faith. Amen. Well, uh, my message today goes along with communion, it goes along with obedience, um, goes along with, I just love how the Holy Spirit, and I really believe in the power and the working of the Holy Spirit to make things uh, like a puzzle come together. We have a puzzle on a table at the apartment in our kids' house in Girdwood that we've been working on for over a year. And I'm not a puzzle person. I let Nancy and the grandkids do the puzzle, and I come along and go, oh, I'll be back. And at the end, I like to put the last piece in or hide it, one or the other. We're going to put a note on it for those that also use the apartment. Please work on this puzzle. (laughs) It needs to get off the table. But the Holy Spirit puts things together. He takes all the pieces, and he builds the nature of Christ in it all, because Christ is in all and fills all. Amen? The title of my message this morning is Redeemed, Redemption. Redeemed means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for a payment. That's us. We have been redeemed. One of my favorite songs is, I know that my Redeemer lives. I have, he's taken my life and he exchanged something for it so that I might live. Along with that, redemption is we all have a story. Every one of us is a story. And our story is continuing to be written. Many of my favorite stories I like to hear from people start out like this. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. How many have ever used that? How many have ever heard that? It seemed like a good idea at the time. And most of those stories end up with some sort of uh, near or close to disaster and uh, end up with uh, how 
we were somehow delivered out of that set of situations or circumstances because we're still here to tell the story. In Psalm 107, the second verse, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. It goes on to say, those he redeemed from the hand of their enemy. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. You have a story. You may not think you have a story. Well, my story's not very good. I don't tell a story good like Kelly does or Sid does or, you know, different ones, you know. Uh, my wife, when she tells the story of what God's doing and speaking to her, it's a whole lot different than when I tell my story. You know, people take my wife seriously. They don't take me very seriously. I, I don't get it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, we see it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Now, here's what I want to say about that, is we think we gain wisdom from the story that starts out, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but we won't do that again. No, wisdom to us is that Christ has become to us wisdom. We might learn not to put our hand on a hot plate any longer, but true wisdom comes from the Lord Jesus Christ being in our lives. He has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Now, the story of God's redemptive nature, I think, is told in one of the most outstanding stories that God had put in the Bible. It's the story of King David and Bathsheba. This is a story that could be an Italian opera, you know, with the soprano singing and the baritone belt, belting out the words and the costumes. And, you know, think of an Italian opera, and it's full of tragedy. It's full of um, lust and moral failure and betrayal and loss and restoration. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. This story is a long story. I'm going to just uh, capsize it. Let me find it here. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it starts out this way. Looking for it. Verse 1, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and, it, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army. They laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. It seemed like a good idea at the time. But David wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. 
He wasn't fulfilling his position of being a king to lead his people. He decided to stay behind, and that led into a lot of trouble. That led into David completely diverting from God's overall plan. And I always question these stories in the Bible of why would God leave these in the Bible? You know, he doesn't scrub the narrative like we do for Facebook. I mean, this is his narrative. He could, he could do whatever he wants with it, but he leaves human factor and failure and shortcomings seeded throughout the Word of God for a purpose. So David not going out has nothing better to do than to deal with his human nature, which has led towards seeing a beautiful woman on a roof away from him. And to tell you the story, you'll need to, I encourage you to read the entire story, but I'm going to just uh, summarize it. And uh, he sees this woman, he desires this woman, he sins for this woman, he finds out this woman's married. One of his mighty men in his military is married to this woman. And David, to cover his own sin, because the woman gets pregnant by David, and he's got to cover it up, he sends for his friend to come from the front lines to spend some time with his wife to cover his sin to have an excuse that he wasn't the one that got her pregnant. But he was such an upright man, he said, how can I enjoy my time in leisure here when my men, my, my brothers in arms, are fighting the battle? I won't do this thing. So David has to devise another plan, and he divides, devises the plan to send this man back into battle and have him killed. Now, this is the betrayal that's beyond my comprehension. He sends the plan by his own hand. He says, here, you take the plan to the captain, Joab up there, and Joab reads it. He's got to think, what's going on with David? But he, he carries it out. Now, obviously, God's very displeased with this to such a point where he gives a word to Nathan the prophet, and I want to read some of this. Um, In chapter 12, verse 1, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. 
It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. David had covered his own sin. He had justified himself. He was the king. He could get away with with it. You see, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, had been killed. The threat of his sin being found out had been removed. But God knew it. David was furious. He said, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Wow. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much more. But you took it upon yourself and chose your own way. David has been found out. The end of this story still has some tragedy in it. The child born of that affair grew sick and died. But because David repented and came to his Redeemer, with all of his heart. See, here's a key to anything that we do in life when it comes to the Lord. It requires all your heart. God's not real interested in uh, a complacent heart. He's not really interested in a half-heartedness. He's not interested in a people who draw near him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Anytime that you want to see a sin dealt with, a pattern broken, your life changed. If you will go before him with all your heart, he will move on your behalf. Now, not always, even when you go before God with all your heart, Does he change magically your circumstances and everything turns into a Cinderella story? Sometimes it doesn't. Think of Jesus in the garden. He said, if this cup could pass from me. I mean, I can guarantee you Jesus' heart was in that time of prayer to God. If there's any way this can pass from me, any way, let it pass. But he continued by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
You see, God received David's repentance and redeemed him. But there was still recompense set in motion. It says, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. And sin brings forth destruction. It can bring forth issues and problems in your life that you don't get delivered from outside of the fact that you become forgiven and you can become a different person. I'll just say it this way. One time I was just totally in love with a vehicle. I had to have that vehicle. And there was, this vehicle was the answer to my every solution in life. It was the answer to my, I had to have it. I bought that vehicle. Turned out I paid for that vehicle. I really paid for that vehicle. Twice. <clears throat> and I said, Lord, I made a mistake in this decision. I thought this was you. It was me. And the Lord said, yep, you sure did. And now I own a different vehicle. But it took a while to get through that decision. It still had its weight of what I had done before me to see myself through it. So the Bible's full of these kind of things. And why would God leave it in that, in his narrative? Why not just, you know, everything is perfect. Why would he, why would he allow that? Because he wants to show that his true nature is one of redemption and loving kindness and mercy and purpose. And his purpose is to change us and to bring us into being like his son, Jesus. Amen? There's another one I like to use as an example. In the New Testament, we get the account of Paul and Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, his name means encourager, and that's what he was. Barnabas was an encourager. And he literally encouraged Paul. You see, Paul, before being Paul, was Saul, who persecuted the church. Then he had an encounter with Jesus, was saved, called into ministry, and then he was called to, led by the Holy Spirit to Antioch and by Barnabas' encouragement to say, Paul, come to Antioch. There's a church happening here. God is moving here. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. And these people could use your ministry to help them. Paul said, all right, I'll come. But the people at Antioch weren't so sure about Paul because he had persecuted the church. He had put Christians to death. So there could be family members in the church in Antioch that they lost their family members to Paul's persecution. And they were fearful that Paul's conversion wasn't true, but that he was a spy. You know, he's just coming in to check things out. But Barnabas, being the encourager, said, no, I can vouch for Paul. 
It's a true conversion. And God did a mighty work there. And Paul and Barnabas became very, very close friends. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, I want you to go on a missionary journey together, Paul and Barnabas together. So they're going to go. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. Now here's the story. John Mark goes with them, but about halfway through the trip, I mean, these guys are putting their lives on the line. It's not an easy missionary trip. It's a difficult thing that they're doing. And John Mark got to the place where, I don't know the full reason, but he said, I'm done, I got to go back. Paul had a hard time forgiving that. Paul had a very difficult time, so difficult with the fact that John Mark did that and left in the midway. Instead of being Barnabas the encourager, he was Paul the, what would Paul be? Anyway, he was willing, so they're going to go on another missionary trip, and Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. Paul, having not forgiven John Mark yet, said, no way, he's not coming. Not going to happen. Barnabas said, yes, but he should come. You guys should work on your relationship. You should see this through. You were good friends. Paul was willing to lose even his good friend Barnabas over the fact that he said, no, I'm not taking John Mark with me. And they developed a breach in their relationship. Hmm? Yeah, God healed it. So Barnabas went one direction. Paul went another with Silas. Here's the key to this. They still were preaching the gospel. They still had the purpose of God in their life. They still surrendered to God. And later on, we see that Paul says this. He makes a concession. I think Paul had issues like every one of us, although God used him to write the greater portion of the New Testament. He still used a man who had issues, and one of his issues was he finally made the concession. He says, well, yeah, bring John Mark with you. He does serve a purpose. It's not like, I missed him, and I want to be with him, and I love him. He couldn't quite make that step. He says, yeah, bring him along. He, he serves a purpose. Does that sound like Christians today? Sounds a lot like Christians today. As Christians, we want other Christians to be perfect. And when we discover they're not, boy, we're disappointed in them. We think every Christian should be scrubbed like a Facebook posting. 
We think every Christian should be like that Christmas newsletter you get. I love Christmas newsletters. Christmas newsletters are great. Can I have a, just a few more minutes? How's the kids yeah. doing? Christmas newsletters are great. I love reading how things are going in people's life. We get one some from, from some friends that we've had in Fairbanks for years, but they've moved outside. And we just love getting their letter. I love reading those letters. But I have never received a letter that says, well, our sons are in jail. We don't tell that side of the story. We just tell the, the great side, you know. Oh, well, this is great, and the successes and stuff. And, and, uh, but we don't say, well, and the kids ended up in jail. Too often, we expect perfection from one another. But we don't hold ourselves to that standard. So there's disagreements, there's arguments, there's human failings. So much of that that we need to account for and just accept we need a redeemer. We need a redeemer. Now I'm going to finish with one of my, um, it seemed like a good idea at the time stories. Going to boast on my grandchildren a little bit. Yesterday was grandchild day. We went into Anchorage with our children and our children's children. Went to a basketball game, and our little eight-year-old grandson was playing basketball. And I, I just love watching them play basketball. I don't get emotionally invested in the fact that, hey, they missed every shot they made or made only two of the ten shots they attempted, or they did this, or they, they were picking their nose while instead of playing the game. I, I don't get emotionally invested in that way. I just love watching them. Just love watching them be who they are. And uh, the one grandson, he's going after the ball. This kid has the ball. He goes after the ball and kind of knocks the kid down. And he just stops, and he says, are you Okay. And then he does it again. And the kid goes down, and he reaches down and gets his hand and pulls him up, makes sure the kid's up and before he goes on to play, you know? It's like the game moves on, everybody's gone on, and he's like, are you okay? I just love his nature. There's something about that, right? Our other grandson was in his, uh, they've been uh, creating these Lego robots. He's in this. Lego League, and his team put together this Lego robot, and they designed these different things, and the, the robot then has to be programmed. They have to write, write the program in order to do these different tasks they've got to do. And uh, just to watch that amazed me that they would put this together as a team and accomplish this and this robot would go out and accomplish this task, come back. Then they had to set it here, and it would go out and do that task and come back. And I thought about my accomplishments as a kid that age and what seemed like a good idea at the time. I was really into building these balsa wood airplanes that you cover the skin of with paper. 
You know, the, the framework is balsa wood, but the skin is all paper that you, you then, uh, what we called, um, painted with dope. Um, and, uh, and then they would fly. You could fly these things. I discovered that glue burns. So I took my airplane, dumped a bunch of glue near the tail, lit it on fire, and sent it out. Looked like one of those World War II planes. Flames, smoke. And I caught my neighbor's field on fire. And I ran out into that field to try to put that out. And I ended up having to hide under a sheet of plywood I found while this fire burned around me. And man, I didn't want to come clean on how that happened. I mean, I was thinking up stories like, well, lightning struck. You know, anything, but yeah, I did this. But it seemed like a good idea at the time. But the end result was, I didn't do that again. <laughs> and it all turned out well. So, I believe God has a plan, purposefully. He doesn't scrub your story. He loves you in such a way that in your humanness, and in your failures, and in your shortcomings that you're dealing with, whatever it might be, we've heard so good this morning, so many things about how God still redeemed us in the midst and is redeeming us still in the midst of our humanness. So whatever your situation, whatever your circumstances are, if in the middle of that, when I was under that sheet of plywood and that fire was burning around me, I tell you, I was calling on God. I was calling on Jesus to save me. And he did. But I want you to know it was very much my whole heart at that moment. It wasn't half-hearted. And in circumstances in your life, even if it's a small situation, it still can be totally changed with your whole heart being involved. Let's all stand. Do we have a song we can close with? Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.